Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Revely, revely, donks. Look at us now, tip to tip. This is our life. This is our passion. That's the spirit we bring to this show. I'm Luke Thomas. I'm Brian Campbell. This is Morning Combat. Well, 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 June has, or as I should say, coming to a close here in 2021, but MK rolls on. Hello, everyone. My name is Luke Thomas. I am just one half of your hosting duo. I am from CBS Sports. I come to you live from the capital, Los Estados Unidos, here in Washington, D.C., but I am joined by royalty. He is the king of Connecticut. It is Brian Campbell, my CBS Sports brethren. Good, sir. How are you today? Luke, I am fired up. It's Wednesday. It's hump day. No Jay today, every day, uh, fired up as always. Look, you know, we shout out regularly a strong part of our, our fan base and thank them. We shout out our sponsors. We never shout out our potentially single or recently divorced female listeners, Luke. Even the, the Cougars need love once in a while. So if that's your situation, MK cares if don't nobody else care. All right. Well, there you have it. Uh, if you're recently divorced, sorry. Um, there you go. Hey, we got a lot to get to today, BC. I think we're doing Wheel of Death today. Uh, I could be wrong about that. I, do, I know we're doing fan subs, and we've got a few topics to get to here today. I want to remind everyone, thumbs up, hit subscribe. Let's drive those numbers. Let's push it forward. Keep swinging the axe. Get us to where we need to go. And if you want to follow us on social, there it is, Morning Combat. Same name everywhere, but BC and I have slightly different names between Twitter and Instagram. Uh, the place where you send fan submissions as well as Dead Wrongs for Friday, morningcombat at gmail.com. Uh, hit us up there with whatever you might need to do. If you want to try Showtime, by the way, because the fights continue this Saturday, you can go to Showtime.com and get a 30-day free trial if you like it. You can keep it. If not, you may cancel it at that point. BC, you had something you wanted to say? Yeah, Luke, I told myself I wasn't going to interrupt you today because the fans get really upset when I do that about 43 times a show, but they don't <laughs> understand the passion and energy inside of me. But I wanted to say we are on the, the march to 100K on YouTube, 100,000 subscribers. We're getting there, and people always say, well, that's great, BC, but what do I get? You know, what do, what do I get for helping you guys out? Uh, Luke, we can't give all the details, but some shit's going to go down the week of July 10th, Connor, Way 3 where uh, you and I are going to take this, this shit to the next level. So if you're going to be in Vegas that weekend for the big fight, International Fight Week, yes. you know you may, you may get a chance to, 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 to rub bare chest with us. I mean, there's going to be some fun stuff coming your way. So keep you know, telling your friends, keep banging the drum for all things MK because we coming, bro. We coming yeah. in a big way, okay? He's not, he's not lying. He's not lying. There is going to be a clear demonstration of what 
CB, I think, I think, knock on wood, of what CBS Sports thinks so far, what we're doing. They're they're very happy, and obviously it's a big fight with Connor and uh, and Dustin, but they want to capitalize on that. Plus, they want to capitalize on all the enthusiasm you guys have shown for MK. I think you're going to see some of that uh, play out on uh, during the week. He's absolutely right about that. Um, BC, well, oh yes, I got to remember one more time. We have to uh, scam the the interwebs. We are going to do a. We did not do a room service diaries in Jersey City. We are doing one for UFC 264, at least the week that we are there. So to scam the internet, we need you to leave questions uh, as you give a five star review for us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, too, I guess. Um, but that's the place you want to do it. So sc- help us scam <laughs> the uh, system, and we'll yeah. get your questions answered for room service diaries. Please don't ask any fight questions. Make them fun. Make them different. Make them irreverent. Don't ask who's your favorite lightweight from Sengoku. I don't give a fuck for that. Okay, right, Luke, so what you do you think of that Canadian guy's five jobs? You know, that, this is not the forum for this bullshit. <laughs> yes. All right, save that for not, the Thursday live chat, like you that's normally right. do. Thank that's you. right. Okay. That's right. Do all that kind of shit. Okay, BC, you ready to get this started? Yeah, uh, uh, real quick, uh, we're going to have a homework assignment for Friday's show, Ooh, Luke. Yes. You tweeted it out. Please give the details for anyone that missed that. All right, so if you have Netflix, I, I tried to pick something that I thought, A, BC hadn't seen, one I wanted to see again, and C, something that most people might have access to. If you have Netflix, we have a homework assignment. On Friday's show, I tweeted this out, but you can, it's, a, it's my pinned tweet. Go watch the movie, The Night Comes For Us. It's on Netflix, and uh, we're going to discuss it. We're going to react to it. If you have a comment or a question about that movie, you don't have to worry about Apple Podcasts, but you can email us, morningcombat at gmail.com. The night comes for us. You might recognize many of the characters from other movies you've seen, like The Raid and some other stuff out there, Um, but to me, The Night Comes For Us is special all its own. BC, I am super excited to hear what you have to say about it when, yeah. when the time comes, my friend. When the night comes for us. Luke, I'm fired up and ready to see this. I know nothing about it. So uh, it was going to be three three girls in a cup this time. Whatever it is, I'm going to be ready for it, Luke. All right. Uh, You're going to like it, I, I promise. With that out of the way, let's get to the story. It broke yesterday. ESPN's Brett Okamoto was the one who shared the news. So let's just set it up this way. The UFC has, I don't know if they announced, but obviously uh, Okamoto reported from Dana White, so I'm assuming that this is uh, more or less official. August 7th, in Houston, Texas, a interim title will be up for grabs in the heavyweight division. Cyril Gahn, who just came off that win over Alexander Volkov, is going to take on Derek Lewis, who of course is coming off his big win against Curtis Blades. So Lewis versus Gahn, August 7th, Houston, Texas, interim title. And you might be asking like me and BC did, which is, Wait, didn't Francis just get it three months ago? Why the fuck is there an interim title in August? BC, we know that uh, Dana White said that the management of Francis Ngannou was full of shit, that they should not act surprised uh, because they said that they were. They couldn't believe it. His manager fires back in this long comment on Instagram, basically saying, "You're, you're lying, Dana White. I have the receipts more or less to prove it. Why don't we put it all out there? Now, BC, with all that information out there, what is your reaction to what the UFC is doing and then the subsequent dust-up between Francis's management and Dana White? Well, we can get to the management dust-up in a, in a few seconds when we throw to that stuff so we can get a deeper look. But just on the surface, this decision, Luke, it's troubling. I don't understand it. So here's how I understand it, right? I just said I didn't understand it. But you get my point here. To me, this feels like another 
another short-term decision with no lack of care for the long-term consequences. Now, what are the long-term consequences? It's something, obviously, that Dana White doesn't care about, but as traditionalists and fans, we should care about. And that's the idea that an interim title has any level of credibility. When they act like this, Luke, it has zero level. So here's the deal. Francis Ngannou had wanted, and you could argue had deserved, to have already fought for an interim title when he was forced to basically just sit around and wait for Stipe and DC to complete their trilogy. It would have been perfect for him to have that fight against Jair Rosenstruck for the interim title. He pushed for it. UFC was like, you're shit out of luck. But now three months after winning it, because he can't go on the date they want, we're just going to take an interim title and throw it out there. So the short-term element of this, Luke, is ridiculous. To me, this feels like UFC is looking at that date in Houston. They want to do a big pay-per-view. It's one of their big markets. They don't believe the Amanda Nunes title bout against uh, Juliana Pena would, would carry the card as a main event. And, Luke, I think history shows us it wouldn't. You know what's one of the worst-selling pay-per-views in UFC history? That time Amanda defended against Rocky Pennington. I mean, it was like... Something, Luke, like 75,000 buys. I mean, just just, just ridiculously bad. I'm not against them getting creative and saying, look, we got to get something in this main event that would sell, which I don't even care if that's grabbing a Diaz brother, just doing something. But when you put a fake title on the line in a fight with two guys who don't deserve to fight for this fake title because the champion just won the belt and he's telling you straight up, I can come back in September and you know that I can come back in September and you got his management team saying, we already agreed and signed the deal to come back in September and now you're just going to throw this out there? Luke, I, I get that there's going to fans that, that are going to use the, the stance you used to have on interim titles, which is like, I don't really care about them as long as the fighters get paid. And mm -hmm. I know that Dana is going to laugh all the way to the bank because this will make this pay-per-view sell more. And in his short history of doing this, when he floats an interim title out there because of the opportunity at stake for somebody to go from average UFC pay to championship level, almost 1% pay, should they win that title and then get in a title fight and win it, people fight their ass off in interim title bouts. They tend to be exciting theater. So why am I hung up on the traditionalist side of this? Because UFC is the last bastion of hope where the titles really matter. They don't tend to do this boxing bullshit type of decision making where it's like, we'll just float out an interim or vacant title or we'll create a franchise champion or we'll do all this bullshit. No, one name, one face, one division, one champion, unless there is circumstances like a Frank Mir motorcycle accident where the guy can't defend and you want to set the division forward and keep it moving. The fact that there's no consistency in the way these decisions are made makes UFC look like a laughing stock. It's obviously they don't care about it, and to be fair, they're making so many great decisions as a whole, Luke, that it's a bit nitpicky to pick out one like I'm doing right now. But I don't, as I always say, I am the boxing guy on this show. I know the sins of boxing. Don't do that just to save one pay-per-view card. It makes everything look bad. The winner is not a champion. They are not a fucking champion, Luke, okay? I'm not here for this shit. Yeah, I mean, you're right. I, there, if there is any silver lining, such as there can be in a situation like this, it's that the winner of Lewis versus Gone, whoever that may be, when they face Francis, they're going to get pay-per-view points by virtue of having the interim title. So they'll get a bigger paycheck than they would were there no interim title there. Okay, I can at least... I can at least be happy about that for whoever that fighter may be. I tend to think it'll be gone, but we'll have to see. Now, 
that out of the way this is just like this is not a very difficult argument to make for example i mean you could point to any amount of history uh, in other situations like this but we don't have to look at history how about just looking at the present moment at bantamweight you had aljamain sterling winning a title through let's just put it very controversial means so then he gets the title and he can't turn around and defend it while there's a bottleneck in that division because he has to get long-awaited neck surgery, which I totally understand. If you're going to defend that title against a guy like Peter Yan, you want to be in your best health. And if you've had a lingering issue, not, there's no time like the present. Fine. No, no issue with that. But by the time that fight happens, according to the timeline that Aljamain Sterling has given, it will be around October or November. Well, the fight took place in March. So you're talking about a seven or eight months that will have passed, probably bare minimum, before they make that contest, meaning Francis saying he wanted to fight in September would have only been six months, and they're already turning around and making a title for it. It's obviously arbitrary. It is obviously just something that they want to do because they feel like they want to do it for whatever reason it may be, whether or not, it's to, to your point, buoy that uh, pay-per-view to give it a little bit more oomph, you know, put Derek Lewis in Houston, whatever. Whatever their reasoning might be, um, it's obviously just something that they just decided and made up. There's no formal process, and we can sit here and bitch about it all day, and I've been bitching about it since the UFC's been doing stuff like this, but I'm going to point out one more time, fighters, if you don't like this kind of thing, me and Brian can say whatever we want. We are not the cavalry. We are not going to be in a position to change this. The only people who can change this are your management, maybe, or collectively, y'all deciding to do something about it. It is up to you to fix it. I will also add, BC, though, that I did speak to some people in Francis's camp, and Again, what is the truth? I've not seen the receipts between um, what UFC had to say and what Francis's management had to say. But some folks that are close to him told me that like UFC was w very much informed about what was happening. They knew that he was going to be on vacation until the end of June and that he would come back from vacation and then be able to articulate a timeline. But just do the math on that. He's not going to be ready to fight four fucking weeks later at the earliest, at the earliest. It would have been late uh, August, maybe early September. They depict, just to be on the safe side, the end of September. Hello, six months past your first title defense. That's not a super quick turnaround, but that's literally not even the latest turnaround by other existing champions at the moment. The whole thing is insane. The whole thing is capricious. But it is what it is, BC, because this is how the UFC is able to exercise control. Last thing I'll say on this. Luke. Last thing, let me say, and I'll pitch, hold on, hold on, I'll pitch it right back, I'll pitch it right back. Last thing, last thing. I did see a series of really interesting tweets from Ariel Hawani, who was pointing out that Hunter Campbell, who's sort of this like lawyer slash top executive there at the company, he's liked by a lot of people, a lot of fighters like to do business with him, but according to uh, Hawani, and this is what I hear as well, uh, that you know they'll threaten to strip people. Uh, I did not, I did not hear from anyone in Francis's camp that the UFC threatened to strip them, but... The idea that they did not know what they were working with or they didn't have a timeline to understand what they'd be up against. They thought he'd be ready by August 7th. That's patently, they, they deny that there is any situation that they didn't know that that was coming. It's like, look, look, UFC is so successful right now. Last two, three, four, five years. I mean, they're just unbelievable. It's, it, as a fan, as a journalist, it's just been a pleasure to watch this journey. But separate from the fight pay issue, which is an issue, 
it's like the only nitpicky thing I have is just this blase decision making, usually as it pertains to championships, uh, meaning like who gets stripped when they're a champ champ, right? Amanda Nunes can hold on to both belts forever, but DC gets stripped instantly. Connor can hold on to two belts and kind of do what he wants for a certain amount of time, but other people get stripped instantly. That sort of haphazard decision making, Luke. It's not fair to the fighters. I mean, it is 100% not fair to Francis Ngannou to have any sort of potential threat of being stripped if you're not perfectly on their timeline. I mean, I hate interim titles to begin with, and I think Colby and Tony Ferguson got raw deals and how their titles were taken away. Even full titles in the past, whether we're talking about Nico Montano or Jermaine Durand, I mean, I know other people don't agree with me on the GDR side of it, but still, just the way haphazardly, we're like, nope, we're taking that away from you. We're doing this. Like... The fighters are already dealing, Luke, with the unforgivable, unforgiving nature of this sport to begin with. The fighter pay and the whole idea of like just trying to become that 1% and, and be taken care of and set yourself up. But now we just, on top of that, we have this built-in threat that if you can't stay on some company man schedule that is very quick on turnarounds, that we have the ability to just bully and threaten that we take it away. It's like that looks really bad, but on a whole, it's like we you play to win the game. You know that's that famous coach that the coach Herm Edwards has that famous quote, right? You play mm. to win the game. Luke, I know this is a business. I know this is entertainment. But these people live their commit their lives to this craft to win a championship. Yes, there's cuz of the money backing with it, but to be considered the best in the world at what they do. When you make those titles mean less, what do you have left at the end of the day? Okay, you still have, like, fun fights and grudge matches and that. But, man, when you have this level of control, which UFC has, which other promotions and other combat sports don't, man, you have to protect the integrity of that at all costs. Because at the end of the day, that's why people tune into fights where, let's say, both guys aren't great trash talkers. Let's say there's no great you know, theme to build to this and storyline. At the end of the day, you're like, well, they are competing for the UFC's championship and that freaking means something, right? That's, you know, that's going to change their lives. Like, don't, don't bastardize that. I'm still, Luke, not fully over that the fact that Dustin Poirier, to me, is the best lightweight in the world and he's not fighting for the lightweight title. I know, again, that's his decision. He's choosing the money of Connor over the opportunity to face Charles Oliveira or Michael Chandler or whatever, how that would have played out. But even that, to me, is a little bit of a stain on the idea that you want the best in show to fight the other guy who's the best in show to figure out who's the real best in show. This goes against that grain, and I hate it. But, Luke, we should get into the Francis side of this, and we should get into those tweets and IG messages because it looks like Team Ngannou is almost declaring war here, Luke. Yeah, well, well there's just one last thing on this, which is, you know, for all of the belly aching that we're doing here, why doesn't it matter? Because ultimately, I'm going to argue that it probably won't matter. I think it's worth it if you're in media to try and call reality as best you can make sense of it. So that's what we're doing here. That's our job. But on the other hand, you know, the UFC knew they were probably going to get pushback in the media on some level when they did this, but they went ahead and did it anyway. Why? Well, because they know it's going to work. They know that if they put uh, a belt around that, by the way, you know, Derek Lewis in Houston on the cusp of having a belt around his waist, interim or otherwise, just the, the picture of the story. Because if Derek Lewis, he may not, but if he goes and says, wow, this is the most important fight of my career, winning a belt would mean everything to me, all of a sudden, 
takes on a brand new character that I think the fans would probably get behind because he's a very sympathetic character. And hey, by the way, beating Cyril Ghosn would be a big fucking deal. Like, I, I, I get why he would be incredibly proud of that achievement. All I'm pointing out is if the UFC can do things that they know might cause very, very short-term isolated blowback and then will result in... In, let's say relative to what it would have been if that fight was not on the card, an improved economic result, and there's no real cost to the business, well, why wouldn't they do it? Why would they not just go forward with things like this? I know what your argument is, that there should be some kind of safeguarding of the things that are important to uh, the business if you have this much control of it. Fair enough. And whether it's a monopoly or monopsony, the courts can decide. But I can just tell you that you can just look around and see that they have so much control over the fighters, over the industry, over the amount of fighters that matter, that they can do stuff like this, and the consequences are pretty minimal. Until that dynamic changes, for whatever reason, this will not be the last time you get an interim title. That's a bit of a head-scratcher. Now, so why don't you lead us into the other part of the discussion? I want to introduce a quick fix. I've said it before. I think you and I had this debate on the MMA beat back in the day. But, Luke, here's the deal. Because interim titles, to me, are especially when UFC is bastardizing what it actually means, right? If a champion, a long-standing champion is hurt and can't fight for a year, but you're not going to strip them because they're your long-standing champion, you put an interim title at stake, you build toward the storyline of unifying the belt. We've seen it before. Unfortunately, the last four or five times this has happened, Luke, it just hasn't made a whole ton of sense, right? The champion has not been inactive. But the problem for me is seeing a guy to be able to go down in the history books, like Carlos Condon at welterweight, Shane Carwin at heavyweight, as interim champions. Like, if that's like... I don't want to take away that accomplishment for them and what it means for them. But, Luke, you and I are, in some ways, UFC historians based on our job title to a certain degree. I just don't consider them champions. So since UFC has bastardized the idea of interim champion to essentially make it mean this, number one contender. We already know we get excited when there's a good fight on a UFC card. We go, hey, by the way, that could be a quasi number one contender fight. That means it means more. If UFC wants to officially make number one contender fights number one contender fights, then take off the interim champion label. Get rid of the title belt, which looks exactly like the actual title belt, by the way, because it's not the real title. If you want to introduce a green jacket like the Masters or a ring or a large sombrero, I don't even care what it is, Luke. A gold-plated athletic cup for your cock cover, Luke? I don't even care what it is. But something that specifies that this fight is more important than others Although it's not a title fight, because it's going to produce the next championship contender. And if that means giving them the right money that an interim title fight would normally give, then everyone wins in this case. You don't go down in history as a fake champion. You go down in history as I fought in a number one contenders match, and I won it. And I got to put on this comfy jacket and show it off. And maybe that means nothing to you, Luke, but the belt looks exactly like the real belt. Only it ain't real, Luke. All right. So you're big into this battle between Francis and his management. I got to fix no, the computer. I want you to respond to what I said, motherfucker. Hold on, I'd love to, but my I got a computer glitch I need to fix before the whole shit comes down. Introduce okay. that part of the topic and why does it matter to you? We've seen managers beef with Dana. Isn't this, let me play devil's advocate, BC. Isn't this just another run-of-the-mill Dana versus some famous fighter's manager? I mean, it might be, but it feels like... Francis's manager is coming guns blazing at a time, Luke, where you just gave that speech about, you know, the only change that's going to happen is if it comes from them. The time is right. I mean, it's ripe right now with fighter pay still a big topic. 
for now fighter treatment as champion, right? I mean, look, the only reason why Francis Ngannou is not fighting John Jones next, Luke, which is the fight to make as you fix your computer, and I respect that. It's the fight to freaking make. The only reason it's not happening is because UFC is fighting with John over how much someone in his spot should be making. They don't want to pay him that until he comes out and wins the championship. So for someone who actually is the champion and is potentially getting treated this way, it's very important to come out guns blazing and stand up. Let's throw Manich, if we can, to that little IG conversation. It feels pretty important here. There's Francis's take, which makes sense. Can we zoom in here? Yeah, it's a little hard for me to read. Here we go. This comes as a complete shock to make an interim title so soon. If you look at the history of this division, it comes as a surprise. Francis is just now returning to the States to begin training, and he won the title three months ago. We're unsure of what the reasoning is behind this, but we hope to get clarity soon and figure out something with the UFC soon. At the end of the day, they're in control of these decisions. That is the manager of uh, Francis. By the way, Francis rep by CAA, a, a big agency. Well, Francis's manager, I don't know if we have that that actual IG convo, but he went at Dana to the point of almost sort of, oh, here it is. So Dana responds under Brett's IG post of, of, of the account from Francis's team and says Francis's manager is full of shit. He knows exactly what's going on, and he isn't shocked at all because we told him several times this was coming. His management is incompetent, and hopefully Francis starts taking a look at new people to help his career. That's a pretty firm public statement to be made from the UFC president there. Manish, do we then have that long response? Here it is, actually, Luke. Okay, so let's see this. So, very quickly, Dana White, LOL. Complete shock with your decision after we said September was good for us. Complete shock that you guys made threats uh, after less than three months after you were all aware. Complete shock after you knew why Francis needed more time. This, that is correct. I know you're passionate, but you're trying to discredit my integrity when you've been nothing but respect. When I've been nothing but respectful to you, Hunter, and your entire staff speaks more about you than it does me. I'm not even mad. I'm actually impressed that I've gotten your attention and competent management. I think we've done a damn good job. I think you really don't like the fact that Francis is being represented by not only me but an entire agency, one of which you cannot control. Hence, why you have people trying to rep him all the time to your benefit. I tell you what, let's disclose everything for people to see. Emails, calls, texts, everything. Deal? Because I'm ready to get blackballed by UFC. I'm not defined by it, you or anyone else for that matter. How's that sound? Sincerely, Markel. Wow, sincerely, your old employee. So, Luke, I mean, that's pretty... I mean, would you argue, Luke, that no one's come at Dana that hard except for... Conor McGregor a year and a half ago exposing the DMs of their actual discussions to try to show, you know, that 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 his word was true in terms of who he wanted to fight and all that. And Brendan Schaub, Luke, when they had that back and forth, Schaub came guns blazing with the Eskimo bro line and Dana took the knee and backed off and, and, and put the arms down in that fight. So shout out to Brendan on that one, Luke. But again, change is not going to happen unless these guys make these threats. Am I wrong, Luke? Make these threats to make certain things public so that UFC cannot do bullying tactics. Again, we don't know. We're not inside, right? We're hearing both sides of the story. But you're hearing this enough times from fighters that it's not hard to believe them. I'd, I'd almost be like, hey, why don't you make this shit public if, if fighters feel like they're getting bullied and that things are getting announced without their knowledge, right? Like they agree to a fight against somebody and then that fighter gets announced to be fighting somebody else. They're like, what did, you know, am I just being used as a, as a negotiation ploy here? Like what happened to Habib ahead of 205? Um, if this shit starts going public and we see the receipts, Luke, I know that's, a, that's juicy. I know that's very, you know, social media voyeuristic, but won't that create change? I'm, I'm skeptical. I mean... It, here's the thing. Whenever you see Dana getting mad at a manager, almost invariably, not not totally true, but 
usually it's because the manager is doing a pretty good job. Like, for example, you never hear Dana say nice things about Holly Holmes' manager. But, BC, you know who Holly Holmes' manager is. This is a dude that's an old-school boxing manager. He doesn't give a fuck what you think about anything. He's just going to do what he's going to do. He's going he's gonna to promote Holly's interests the best that they can be promoted, and uh, that's what's, what's gonna, what it's going to be. So because he doesn't play ball with UFC in that way, I don't think he reps a ton of MMA clients anyway, maybe just her. Um the, you know he gets sideways with him, but that's that's the job. The job of a manager is to not you know not intentionally get sideways with him. But when shit hits the fan, you know you're not supposed to be on the promoter side. You're supposed to have divergent interests. You know I still got to say though that like I've seen people beef with UFC over this stuff. I remember when Couture tried to say he was going to retire from his contract, and there were press conferences about what was in those contracts, and they released it publicly, and it you know it kind of got to a somewhat better place for Randy individually, and maybe he can get to a somewhat better place for Francis individually. But like you want to create change in this industry, I'm going to keep saying it until I'm blue in the face. Either get a union or pass the Ali Act. Or win this lawsuit. Because all this other shit everyone's doing looks nice for Instagram. Good fodder for us here on Morning Combat. I, I'm not a believer that it actually results in substantive industry-wide change, BC. I'm, I'm skeptical. Well, if you don't try, Luke, nothing's going to change, okay? That's true. That's true. Listen, laying down is not the answer. But the question is, what does what is the path to meaningful, lasting change Unless you really want to, like, you got to hammer UFC. Honestly, I mean, I'm not, I, I don't know which, 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 which path is the correct one. There's a lot of debate about what would be best for the industry and best for the fighters, and really keep you know UFC in a healthy position too. But like, I think people think that getting mean on social media is like an actionable form of change, and I'm, I don't believe that. I don't believe that it is. Well, uh, it's what what is what I don't believe is a possible is a healthy form of change is when is when the UFC makes these public declarations and goes against what a fighter potentially said. I mean that that seems like a dirty tactic, Luke. So sometimes yes. the only way to counter a dirty tactic is by trying to come clean. Correct, Luke? Yeah, I, I mean, mean, listen, if they've got emails and texts and they feel like it's important to get that story out there, then put them out there. But like all these vague threats about what they're going to do and blah blah blah, like. The other thing is, I, I just don't, I don't want to see UFC continue to go down these roads and fight the fighters these ways because it only it only ends in the guys who should be champions or should be fighting for championships not doing so. And Luke, that hurts the sport and it creates sort of an us and them where if you don't play ball with us, you know what I mean, we'll we'll, we'll penalize you, but we also have you under contract, so you ain't going nowhere. I mean, that right. that's not a healthy reality, Luke. No, you it's not. That. But if you've got that's not it's not like it, uh, that. You, you think like oh they can't. They can't keep doing this. And I'm like, dude, if the market is structured in such a way where you've got the kind of power that they've got, you absolutely can do it. Now, whether or not it's a good long-term thing because you sow so much negative energy with your talent that they end up wanting to sue you or get legislation passed or what you know, whatever. Uh, yeah, that can be the argument. But I, I got to tell you, like, I've been around long enough. I have seen many, 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 many iterations of this kind of a battle, and each one's a little bit unique in their own way. And every time the UFC might do a little bit, a little bit to like, you know, give it back to the fighter. I remember, like, you know, um, there was an inexplicable pay bump for Cowboy Cerrone and TJ Dillashaw after that uh, MM AAA thing, right? Okay, you know, we'll, we'll we'll make it a little bit easier on you, but like real change, real change. I gotta tell you, folks, real change comes from real work, and this that ain't real work.
Yeah, know? I didn't see Bjorn Rebney get any bonuses after that press conference. And Luke, yeah. to close on this, you know the way to fix this probably? Um, a giant bag full of cash that won't be tracked by either the uh, <laughs> the federal uh, or John Nash. That would that would be probably the way to get around this. Luke. Yeah, probably so. All right. Topic number two is Habib Nurmagomedov has spoken. He spoke to UFC Russia. Had a few things to say. BC. We'll talk about Connor Dustin in a bit, but he had some thoughts on retirement. Quote, I am living the life of an ordinary person, not the one of a professional athlete. I think living the life of an athlete is somewhat close to being held in a prison because every day he has to do the exact same thing. Train, rest, then train again, then rest. It's like living in the same mode at the same pace, not slowing down. Once you slow down, you are no longer a champion. So I have just released myself from this prison in a way. However, he also says... There are so many moments when I feel a lack of competition or it's spirit, you know. There are many things that I miss simply because I spent my entire life doing them. No, there was not a single moment when I had regrets or doubts about my decision. However, I miss this competition environment itself, training camps, losing weight, blah, 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 because it's, it's some sort of an addiction and you can't get rid of it. Simply, It simply exists. Sometimes you just want to enter the octagon and kick ass, fight for five rounds straight and make it really tough. But life is life. Even if not now, then at some point in life, I'd have to quit and say it's no to the. I'd have to quit and say it's no. Uh, say no to the sport, anyway. BC doesn't sound like he necessarily enjoys every aspect of retirement, but I don't get the feeling that he's really itching to come back all that much. No, I like this. This was a really honest take from him. I mean, you could use it to kind of fuel either side of the argument. I think, but I think he's showing us a couple of things. One, that to be great, and I mean great, Luke. It's stressful as all hell. I mean, you got to be, you know, there's no days off as people like, you know, in boxing, Bernard Hopkins and Floyd Mayweather has shown that that there's another level, if you can get to it, where you don't get fat between training camps, where you are full, you know, 24 hours a day, 365, a champion. I think it's some of that stress, Luke, that, that led GSP to get out of the business and take that long break because it has to be stressful to always be on with that fear in the back of your mind that if I'm not at my absolute very best, it, it could fall apart. And it could, Luke. I mean, MMA is as unforgiving as any other sport from the standpoint of there just being so many ways to lose and so many ways to lose freakishly, especially you could dominate a fight for a long time and lose just like that. So, again, I always want to tip the cap to anyone. GSP, John Jones, Amanda Nunes, um, Anderson Silva, Habib, guys who have been able to sustain extreme elite level championship excellence. And I know in hindsight, Habib's reign wasn't actually that long because it took him longer than maybe it should have to finally get the title shot. But to do that, Luke, I mean, so few have done that for a reason. So I I like hearing him express what that actually means and feels like. He does feel a sense of relief from not having that anymore. But it also seems like he's come to terms that that itch to compete is always going to be there. It doesn't go away. That's why guys make ill-advised decisions and keep coming back in various forms, whether it's, you know, a real fight or an exhibition or what have you. Um, Luke, I still stand by the the belief giving his almost supernatural level of conviction. I mean, again, who walks away when they're pound for pound number one and, and at the peak of their earning potential, meaning anyone they fight, it's a pay-per-view main event and you're unbeaten. Who just walks away like that, right? And then you add in the level of the promise made to the family. 
I feel like if anyone can stick by it, it's still Habib. But I did like to see this sort of honest take about the machine, right, inside of him that it needs to be fed in some form, Luke. Maybe he can get that 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 feeding through coaching or promoting or whatever he's going to end up getting into. But you better feed it, Luke, or it'll come looking for you, all right? Yeah, I think that's a pretty sober take, BC. I think you know he's grappling with the dual realities, and they don't necessarily make sense that he would have these positions independently but they that's just the reality he's he's in this transition from one life to the next if you had this life and it's all you know you're probably going to hate certain parts of it but if it's all you know leaving it is actually a little bit more of an adjustment than i think some folks realize right especially if you're still 32 and you got you know two-thirds of your life maybe left in front of you something like that at least half maybe um and uh yeah he's he's having a hard time with it but at the same time i think he realizes like um to your point okay let's say i delayed it a year two years three years four years five years i'm still going to be in this exact same position that i feel the way that i do today and i'll just be you know three or five years down the road and god only knows what could happen in that time um so he has to kind of make peace with it he there was footage of him training at aka recently giving some kid the business um so you know he's still in the gym and i think having some good uh, good times but for folks who were you know who built on that training is about getting ready for competition when you do just the training, it's not as satisfying. It's that it doesn't, you know, even you can go 10 rounds with 10 guys, it still doesn't get that competitive urge uh, settled. So he's having a hard time with it, BC. But the other thing that I thought was kind of interesting was the quote on Connor Dustin 3. We know they're going to be fighting July 10th. Here's what he said quote, it's, he's asked for a prediction. It's the same thing as the previous fight, UFC 257. If it's a first round finish, I'd back Connor. From the second round and further, Poirier wins. BC, is he right? Yeah, I mean, look, let's be really honest. Whether we're handicapping Connor versus Habib back at 229 or Connor versus Dustin 2 or Connor versus anyone, Luke, it's sort of the same analysis. If Connor with that rocket left hand and that ability to find your chin in the opening round finds it with some level of power, the odds tell you more often than not he can you know, have a great shot of getting a first-round finish. But if we go longer than that and stamina comes into play, wrestling comes into play, you know, it could be another story. I think that's, a, again, a very fa fair and sober look at this trilogy fight coming up. And I think it is interesting to get his thoughts on these fights. And look, by the way, on, on Habib, and I don't mean to Spider-Man meme him, because you can't really compare me to Habib too often, but I do understand Habib. Every time I drive by Cumberland Farm, I can't even get gas there anymore. My liver is pulsating and calling for the sweet grease and juice and all that stuff that has blackened my organs. But I got to stay away. And I think he feels the same about MMA. But look, one day... It's going to be somebody else. Habib's going to be about 37, 38, and there's going to be somebody else who's on a run, and Habib's going to get that itch. I don't think he's going to scratch it, Luke, but he's going to get that itch, and he's going to get back in the gym, like you said, AKA, and he's going to go through the rounds, and he's going to quietly think, man, should I come back and do this? Should I snuff out someone who thinks they're a growing legend? Should I come back one more time to take a seat at the bar and take down some shots? He won't do it, though, Luke, okay? He won't do it. He won't do it. By the way, I think he's probably right that... I'm a little skeptical that Connor couldn't win in the second, although I do think Connor early in the first is probably a smart bet, or at least, you know, a, a decent one anyway. But there is something to be said. Like, remember, dude, he was the one, Habib, who thought that after the Gaethje loss, and not that this is the most controversial take, but I remember saying after that beating that Gaethje handed out to Ferguson, I was a little bit worried about Ferguson at that point because he was kind of old, and that was a horrific beating. He was the one who after that was like, he'll never be the same. 
And then sure enough, you've had subsequent encounters where, again, I don't think Ferguson looked altogether terrible, but he could not muster enough to beat people who you thought maybe he could have beaten just a couple of years ago. And so Habib's usually got a decent eye for this kind of a thing. I'll be curious to see what happens for a lot of reasons on July 10th, not least of which is, was Habib's prediction true? And my dog is going apeshit. I love that. Uh, hey, Luke, we we you know we're not getting ahead of next week because ne- I mean next week's going to speak for itself. It's UFC 264. It's a monster fight, but that narrative is there. That whole like, man, what if Connor loses this, or what if he gets stopped again? I mean, it doesn't mean that he couldn't retool in camp and come back and get a gimme fight and then come back and beat somebody big. And then you're like, oh, whoa, what about Connor again for a title? It's like until he dies, so to speak, he's he's not going to be dead. But this would be a big blow, Luke. This would be. A, I mean, there there is a double or nothing feel to Connor taking this fight that we last felt yes. at UFC 202 in the Nate rematch, right? There is that feel here. Yeah, there is. I would say it's even worse at this point. I mean, again, you can't just declare someone's career over off of one loss. But to me, if he loses to to Dustin, and let's say, you know, in a way relatively similar-ish to the first one, or I should say the second one, the last fight anyway, if he loses in a way similar to that, then you really have to reconsider uh, that Connor's peak has passed uh, at that point. But just the same, Luke, could you imagine the flip side? And look, let's not forget, in that second fight earlier this year, Luke, second round, he was putting it on Dustin, right? I mean, there was, you know, he was kind of walking him down with some with some left crosses. And you're like, oh, oh, okay. I mean, what if Connor stopped the best lightweight in the world not named Habib right now? What if, I mean, what that could do to the whole idea of the king is back and, and what 100%. that could do for commercialism of, of UFC and promoting Connor. I mean... I mean that that'd be wild. That, that's why that's why your that's why your phrasing of it is so is so good. It's double or nothing because if you win, dude, the rewards. Are, I mean, he'll probably get a title shot, right? And and then you beat Dustin Poirier, you could say, well, you know, did you have enough wins to merit getting a title shot? Well, in that sense, no. But we know he's got enough popularity. And then on the meritocratic side, if you beat Dustin Poirier, you're pretty fucking good. So you would just get a title shot at that point. But if you don't, you lost twice to a rival. You had three chances to beat him. You'll only beat him the first time. Six years later, the game, at that point, if he loses, would have passed him by. It's a huge, hugely consequential bout for Dustin, too, but especially for a guy like Connor. Still, we have a whole week to get into that. All right, BC, topic number three, Faraz Zahabi, which, by the way, shouts to Faraz. He sent me this years ago. You ever seen one of these, BC? Um, no. This is, is called for, a... Is that, is, that an, is that like a motorized anal plugger? I mean, what do you... Yes, you it's just, a motorized a anal plugger. Yes, that's what it is. Yeah. No, Faraz Ahabi, this is... I think his company is called Tim Tam. I got a pinched nerve in my... Tra- or something's wrong with a nerve in my uh, right trap. So my wife's been using these. Ready? On my back to loosen up the muscle. You put it on your arm. And, I'm sure uh, she's been using that. Yeah, wow. I mean, maybe when you travel, maybe when you're gone on those long nights, Luke, that thing looks dangerous. I got a pinched nerve in my crotch. You think that'll fix that, Luke? I mean, come on. Wow. I mean, I, I'm impressed. 45 minutes before referring things back to your genitals. Impressive record. You're really trying to like limit Luke, those. You know the first rule of improv, right? It's like don't don't shut your 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 teammate down. Don't don't just drop a deuce right on the guy's face. Well, right? I'm I have sure to. I mean, you could have ter- spun these are terrible. That. These are terrible 13 year old jokes. You could have spun anyway, that into something good there, Luke. I'm sure. Faraz, this is he sent me one of these years ago. It's been a lifesaver for my back recently. But Faraz has in the news for another reason. He said something about Nate Diaz, which I thought was very interesting. Quote: If you put him in a fight, talking about Nate Diaz. 
where there is no time limit, I think he beats 99% of fighters. You can't sub him. You can't finish him. The guy doesn't stop walking forward. He puts volume on you. He's the scariest, in my opinion, street fighter in MMA. I think if you had to fight him in the street, man, you are in a fight for your life. Ain't going to be no judges standing you up between rounds. Or I think you meant referees. Uh, there's no judge to come in and give you the win. No, no, no. This guy ain't going away. I think if he had a no time limit fight with Leon Edwards, he beats Leon Edwards. And I have tremendous admiration for Leon Edwards. BC, true or false? He's the best fighter if there's no time limit. Well, it's, it is interesting. It's not like the first time we haven't thought about this because Nate has talked about this whole sort of street, you know, idea that he's never he never lost, right, Luke? Nate has never lost a fight, right? They only the fight only ended in defeat because uh, they they put rules around it in, in judges and rounds. Um, I mean, you do need some of the very strong intangibles that he still has: durability, intense stamina. Uh, just a you know a predestined willingness to go through hell like he does, and you know you're you're not really going to submit him, which could be an out for somebody who's skilled in that area. I don't want to say he can't be stopped. I mean, Luke, doesn't Josh Thompson of the yes. Weighing In podcast own a head kick knockout of Nate Diaz? Yes, he does. I mean, he was still conscious, but he was. You know, you were in a really, really bad situation at that point. If that I mean, you know, had, you know gone. some some would say I sparred better with Josh in a podcast sense, at least than Nate did. Right. Some would say that. Um, well, <laughs> I'll say this, BC. Here's, I mean, my here's, guard, my guard was tight, Luke. It was. You had, I mean, tight guards aren't necessarily what you want, uh, to be clear. Open guard is where the offense is, but okay. Uh, uh, um, BC, let me ask you this though. What does it mean to be no time? I mean, I realize we're just playing, we're just playing, you know, uh, with theories and ideas here, but what would it even mean to be no time limit? So for example, we had a fight like this previously in pride, but there were some rules about it and there was last minute changes because the Gracie family wanted them changed. But you go back to Hoist Gracie versus Kazushi Sakuraba, what they ended up getting was unlimited rounds, but each round was 15 minutes. And so what I'm asking is, what would it mean to say you finished him? Now, if you sub him and you choke him unconscious, okay, that's out. If you arm bar him and he taps, okay, that's out. Do you have to literally knock him unconscious for the fight to be won in a no time limit bout? How does that well, work? The last, time, the last time we saw this, although unsanctioned, was Kimbo Slice versus Sean Gannon in that Miami warehouse, right, Luke? And didn't they have that rule, although there were modified rules within that as well, didn't they have the rule that there was a 20 count if somebody's down? Yes. I guess so if you did count. something to that degree, I mean, it doesn't really work because a fight with Nate would inevitably go to the ground. So, But, I mean, is there something to that idea that if if somebody quits, they're out. If somebody dies, they're out. If somebody... Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, this is really stupid. But here's, look, here's, here's, here's my view on this. No, I actually think it's worth thinking about just a little bit, which is this says a lot about Nate Diaz in a good way, and I think it says a lot about the cult of Nate Diaz, not so much in a bad way, but in a way where they got some blind spots about this. Here's what I mean. Let's talk about the good. I think Faraz's analysis here is pretty good, actually. Like, some people, I mean, look at Leon Edwards. Look at Leon Edwards. He is not a devastating finisher. By virtue of the way the rules are set up, you have five-minute rounds, you can do X amount of techniques, blah, 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 blah. Uh, the issue is that he has built a game that's better at winning rounds than Nate Diaz. 
All right, that's just a reality. He's got better defense. He's got better techniques. But everything is geared towards if I have to go the full five minutes, and I usually do, I will have the 10-9 or we only get my hand raised or whatever it may be. I will win that frame. By contrast, there might be other rule sets where Nate Diaz does a lot better and Leon Edwards can't hang. Maybe, uh, you know, an hour-long time limit or no time limit or, you know, whatever modifications you wanted to make, it might actually be the case that Nate Diaz does a lot better. I think Faraz is probably right. But here's my point about some of this. Diaz's fans and admirers love him so much. And we we love Nate Diaz on this show. I mean, he is important to mixed martial arts. He's thrilling to watch. He's an interesting character. He's a anti-hero. He's frankly a vanguard for fighter rights. and represent- I mean, you can't say enough good things about Nate Diaz. But there's also this longingness from his fans to find just enough accommodations so you can look through the keyhole and you can see him on the other side. If you take out this, and if you remove this, and if you extend that, and if you tailor it in this way, Nate does really well. But we don't do business like that for a lot of reasons. Fighting till there's no time limit, yeah, Nate could do that, but he wouldn't be able to do that for very long because even if he beat X and Y and Z, He'll have taken so much fucking damage, his career would be much shorter than it is right now. And honestly, to your point, Josh Thompson laid him out inside of 15 in a way where I don't think he was going to have a whole lot of ability to get up from that. So I like the idea that certain fighters, and you see this in jiu-jitsu, by the way. I talk about it all the time, BC. IBJJF and ADCC, for the most part, have a points-based system. But there's a place called U.S. Grappling, an organization called U.S. Grappling, BC. Dude. No time limits on any of their matches. I've seen black belt matches go one, two, sometimes three hours. It's true. Some people do better in different time frames. But to make that accommodation in the way that they're always trying to make accommodations for Nate, they want him to be something I think sometimes that he just can't be. But he doesn't have to be because the things he is are already great. I mean, maybe he could have won, you know, Maybe he would have been great in the early UFC days with no rules or time limits. I don't know, Luke, but yes, I think he, yes, wrong. No, there's no doubt. There's no doubt under a, diff- a slightly different rule set, longer rounds, maybe pride rounds. I do think, I do think you might see him have different kinds of success. But it, 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 but what does that matter? We don't, we don't do any of those this way. So it, it I, I don't know how relevant like- it is. Remember, like, in high school, if someone thinks they're better than you at basketball, they're like, let's play one-on-one, bro. And then you play and you beat them. And you're like, yeah, I showed you. Then they're like, who cares? I could kick your ass. Let's fight. And it's like, oh, really? That's the We're going to that? That's yeah. what this feels like every time. It's like, oh, yeah, so what? I lost. You know, let's fight to the death. Well, no, bro. No, we're not going to do that. But I got dead wronged in the moment. The warehouse where Kimbo and Gannon fought at was apparently in Rhode Island, per our producer, Mikey Mormile. So uh, shout out to uh, that yes. forgotten state, Luke, my neighbor, Rhode Island, that nobody talks about or goes to unless they're going to the beach or they're going to visit those mansions in Newport, Luke. Okay? By the way, uh, shouts to, uh, I forget his last name. His first name is Evan. Uh, he's a tattoo artist out of Rhode Island. I'll, have to find, I'll find his name here in a minute. Um, he does some of the best portrait work in America. Ooh, Insanely so, so good. When I ball up one day, Luke... Wait, will he let? Will he tattoo me under the, any kind of influences to, to numb the pain, Luke? No, they, a good tattoo guy. Unless you have a personal relationship with him, they're not going to let you go in there. By the way, if you like if you're like, drunk, like, you might bleed more. So they're, no, no, they're not going to let you do. I'll that. bring my own anesthesiologist, Luke, and I'll just be out cold for about six hours. He can work on me all day. All right, Luke. Uh, but yeah, I'd like to get some portrait work done with that guy, Evan from Rhode Island. Let's do it, Luke. Okay. I mean, this won't right. cost me like five grand. You're not setting me up here, Luke, right? There's going to be like five grand to get something on my arm, right? Uh, that wouldn't be crazy. 
Wouldn't be crazy. Uh, all right. Topic number four. Not a whole lot to say about this one, except I'm a little bit sad about it, which is uh, Jan Bolhovich versus Glover Teixeira, two of the nicest bad motherfuckers on earth. Um, this was reported by AG Fight on Sunday. Jan Blahovich's light heavyweight title bout against Glover is now being targeted for UFC 267 BC in Abu Dhabi. So it's still on the books, but it's not going to happen until October. By the time the bout occurs, BC, Teixeira is going to be your fucking age at 42 <laughs> years old. Can you believe that Glover Teixeira is 42 and beating the fuck out of people and you're 42 and the doctor's like, stop eating hot dogs. <laughs> Sorry, Glover. The good news is you'll fight for a title later this year. The bad news is you'll have a black liver, no libido, <laughs> and three needles hanging out of your dick. Yeah, that's great. All right. Yeah, that's, that's good. Uh, yeah, Luke, not much to say here. You'd like to see this get done qu uh, somewhat quickly, but uh, you'd like to see Yuri Prohotska get in the hot seat soon enough, Luke, right? But I guess we got to delay that a little more. I'll say this. What's your, what's, real quickly, before we just move on super fast, what is your early sense about who wins there? And I get, I, you reserve the right to change your mind because I'm asking you on the fly. You haven't really thoroughly, fully thought about it. Initial instinct is what? The Jan Blahovich has shown us in this career resurgence, two major fights, the Reyes win, the title defense against Adesanya, that he's smarter than we thought he was, Luke. He's a little bit more complete. He certainly has uh, knockout power. Um, uh, it's not like I didn't watch his rise, Luke. I just didn't see this until now. It's all come together in the right time. Glover Teixeira, just getting to this point, a second title opportunity at this age is an impressive accomplishment. He's great on the ground, but it's not like Jan's going to get handled on the ground. And I think that's the difference, Luke. I think Blahovich has too much for this version of Glover on the feet, and that will be your decider when he wins a somewhat unexciting decision. Jan Blahovich survive in advance. Get Prohotska up in the bullpen. Let's play light heavyweight bingo. Let's find out what we have in this absolute psychopath, Luke, with that dong hanging out of the top of his head. Uh, what do you call that, Luke? What do you call that? Isn't it, well, didn't he call it like an antenna? Antenna, that's right. That guy's fantastic. I love that man. Yes. yes. I'll, I'll just say this. I, 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 I mostly agree with your analysis. I'll be a little bit different. I think Blahovich is really good backing up when he's striking. I think he's very good at it, and you know Glover's going to come forward. Glover, by the way, getting rattled against Anthony Smith and other guys. Like, dude, you know, Blahovich might put his lights out pretty quickly if that kind of thing happens. On the other hand, I do think Blahovich is good on the ground, but I think Teixeira is very good on the ground. Plus, the big difference is he loves to pass, has good subs, and has very good ground and pound. Um, so I think, you know, depending on where the fight takes place, if it's mostly on the ground, I think Teixeira smokes him. By contrast, I don't, I don't see how Teixeira, even with as good of a jab as he does, I don't see how he beats him on the feet. It's going to be a really, really interesting contest. Uh, and then uh, last but not least, BC, this is a fight. I mean, I got to hand this over to you because you put this on my radar. This was supposed to be on Showtime on August 14th, I believe, but it's now off. Nonito Donaire, the good friend and training partner of UFC flyweight champion Brandon Moreno, was supposed to fight in an all-Filipino bantamweight clash against John Riel Casimero. Casimero last fought on that Charlo doubleheader. But the fight is off, BC, and not only is it off, Nonito Donaire is absolutely butchering this guy in the media with some of the things he's saying. What is he saying, BC, and more importantly, why is he saying it? All right, let's set the table properly. This originally was going to be Guillermo Rigondeaux challenging Casimiro for his title at 118 pounds. 
Showtime and the PBC made a very interesting decision in which Rigo agreed with. Rigondeaux was like, okay, fine. I'll step aside. I'll still fight on the card, but we'll let Nonito Donaire, who's fresh off on Showtime, that knockout of Nordinu Bali to win back a title at 118, to basically have a a, a all like a all action, all Filipino war with Casemiro for two of the four belts at 118. The other two are in Nayua Inoue, the monster's hands, Luke, and this would have set us up for uh, potentially another undisputed champion at 118. We had a couple hiccups on the road to there. Most importantly, Casemiro's team not sending in the paperwork in time to do VADA, the voluntary anti-drug testing. And the really reason why, in this case, that's super important, Luke, is you might not remember, Donaire was the first fighter 10 years ago when VADA launched who said yes. I, w I want a clean sport. I will agree to do 24-7, 365 all year, no matter what. You know, test me, I'm clean. So basically, Casemiro's team did not send the paperwork in time. Donaire called the fight off a week ago. Casemiro's team in the next, you know, 12 hours sent in the paperwork. We seemed all good to go. Since then, Luke, here's what happened. Now, we know Donaire's wife, uh, Rachel, is also his trainer and manager at this portion of his career. And Casemiro's team reportedly put out a meme online, which essentially... To, you know, to cut through the chase here, Luke, implied that Donito's wife should suck a D. I mean, that's really what it said, Luke, okay? This, in this incited Nonito, rightfully so, to the level, Luke, that he did a video. Manich, if we can throw to it, this is a video Nonito did. I think it's like an Instagram Live or something with a member of Casemiro's team. Can we throw to this quickly? Uh, no. Oh, oh, no? You're no. telling my wife to suck some fucking dude's dick? Oh, I'm say something, say something. Okay, I know you're emotional now, but sasabihin ko lang sa yung ano, part ni Champ. <laughs> champ, Champ, I know you're emotional now. Say something, motherfucker. So, Luke, wait, what wait, wait, back, here... back up, back up. Do we know what they were saying in Tagalog? Uh, I had Rafe Bartholomew uh, translate it, and it was basically the same things they were saying in English. Almost okay. like, come on, say some shit, you know, talk some shit, whatever, brother. Stand up for it. So, uh, last night, Nonito Donaire, by the way, on like, remember that thing that you, we used to tweet out, which was a link to a longer tweet? What was it called? Twit something? Yeah, yeah, people, Twit Longer or something. Yeah, people haven't used that in like seven years, but shout out to Donaire. Maybe he's got a flip phone too. By the way, I love Nonito, I'm just kidding. So he put out a long message that said, Luke, because largely of the misogyny shown by Casemiro and his team, and because that they are so against bullying, and because, of course, the whole Vada situation pissed them off, Donaire has pulled out of this fight officially 100%. Now, I did reach out to, to, sh to our brethren here at Showtime to sort of get an official statement on what's going to happen next. They, they're in the process, Luke, of trying to figure that out. So what that could mean is maybe Rigondeau comes back into the main event against Casemiro, which would not be the end of the world. Maybe they find a different opponent for Casemiro. Hey, maybe they find a different opponent for Donaire. That's all up in the air. But, Luke, the crux of this, at least in terms of us talking about it, I don't know if Donaire did the right thing. Look, here's the deal. Combat sports is, as the great Burt Sugar, the late boxing historian and writer has always said, is, you know, boxing is the red light district of sports. I think we can agree that that covers all of combat sports. We're fighting at the end of the day. Do you know what fuels fighting, Luke? Attention. Do you know how you get attention for a fight to create the illusion, and sometimes it's not an illusion, that two men hate each other and they're going to settle it in the ring? Talking some 
shit, Luke, okay? I'm not here to tell you that the world should be built upon a structure where one man can tell another man's wife to suck a D. I'm not here to tell you that. Just like I'm not here to tell you that we've all taken part in some form of hazing, but I don't want to live in a world where, like, bullying is a thing. No, not at all, Luke. But this is still the fight game, bro. Can't we talk shit about each other if we're going to settle it in the ring? Shouldn't this motivate Donaire to get in the ring against his countrymen and go guns blazing and be like, see, I told you, my wife only sucks one D, right? I mean, shouldn't that be where we're going here, Luke? I respect Nonito's principles because he is, a, he is an honorable man, a great champion, a future Hall of Famer, and everything I love about the sport. But doesn't this seem like a bit of an overreach to be like, no one says that about my wife. I ain't fighting you, bro. I mean, every fighter's a little bit different, right? I mean, Ricardo Mayorga told De La Hoya he was going to drink his wife's breast milk. And then De La Hoya told the media, I'm going to make that fucker pay, like in those words. And he did. He, he did. Beat the, he beat yeah. the fuck out of him. So, like, so for certain fighters, that is the best way to do it. It's like, wow, I get to beat your ass and I get to be paid millions of dollars to do it? 100%. I'm, I mean, where do I sign? But I have seen fighters on occasion be like, dude, you're such a piece of shit that I don't even want to like, I don't want my presence to even grace yours. You are a fucking crumb. And I, and by the way, to be clear, uh, Donaire, a champion again, uh, he at least can claim that. Of course, you know, uh, Casemiro, I think is one of his own. But the point being is you're just, I'm a Filipino hero, maybe not Manny Pacquiao, but I am what I am. You're not on my level. Now, I don't know if that's exactly what his feeling is. But I have seen a little bit of both, where I'm happy to get paid to beat your ass, but also you're such trash. You're you're so not even on my level. You're not on my radar. You don't deserve a fight with me. You don't get the red panty night, so to speak, that I'm just going to reject it. It looks like Donaire has taken the second of those two, which I'm with you. I would have rather have seen the first. It would have made the first one even better. But listen, man, Donaire has earned the right to be like, I'm going to fight who I'm going to fight. And fuck this guy. I, I, I honestly believe he's earned that right at this point. Now, I, OK, I agree with that. And if this was any old fight, him saying, look, you're not going to make money off of fighting me when you do this to me, I would respect that. But this was a unification fight for the, for the chance to, to move forward and fight yeah. Inoue for all four belts. Now, this doesn't mean Donaire can't fight Inoue next anyway and maybe do it for three of the four belts. But, look, you get the point. It was There's some sort of historical connotation, titles at stake. And, again, I'm not supporting misogyny at all, Luke. But if your wife's going to be your manager and trainer and be a part of the public image... I don't know, Luke. Is she off limits for somebody to talk trash to in a fight sport? I, like again, I'm I'm not really sure, right? Like you know, if this was yeah, here, if this here's was how in- here's how it works. She should be off limits. I would never say anything like that, and I know you wouldn't either. But just knowing how the fight game works, it's like a speed sign. Speed sign says don't go past 65. You probably shouldn't. It's a bad fucking idea. You might get a ticket for it. But are people going to listen to that in the fight game? Of course not. They're just going to completely blow past it. That That's how it works to me. All right. Hey, uh, he is a man of his word, Luke. And he, he, he drew the line in front of him, and he stood behind it. So at the end of the day, you've done that a few times in your life and career, Luke. I've got to respect yeah. it, all right? Yeah, yeah. All right, real quickly, before we get to the, uh, the Wheel of Death here, BC, I just wanted to throw this up here because everybody and their brother has DM'd me, tagged me, sent this to me. So we have to comment on it. We got this Deontay Wilder bench press video. And I got to tell you, man, you know, listen, he looks to be happy. First time he tweeted in like a year or something or not much in the past year or so. Um, This is terrible. (laughs) This is not the flex that he thinks it is. 
at all. Even, First of all, look, even Zoo Collection is like this form is shitty, right? Zoo culture, Zoo culture. It's zoo more culture. than that. It's more than that. First of all, to to borrow from Infinite Elge Intensity, look at his spotters. There's more hands on the bar than the Moss Eisley Cantina. Number one. <laughs> number two, you're wearing gloves. Okay, you're a boxer, so maybe you got to protect your hands more than normal. I'll let it slide. And the three ten, you know what is what is Deontay weigh? About two fifteen, two twenty, somewhere around there, give or take. That's a fine bench for somebody like an average person. If you're an average person and you weigh 220 or so, 215, and you can bench 310, that's perfect. That's actually really good. But for a pro athlete to have the gloves, your friends are, are, are picking the weight up for you. It's the worst fucking bench form I've ever seen. And then he runs into the wall. <laughs> the second he stands up, I'm like, dude, what are you doing here? Understand something, BC. You can say I'm being pedantic about all this, and that's fine. But there is one thing to consider here. Why do you have to, whatever you're doing, benching, overhead pressing, deadlifting, squatting, whatever. That's his one rep max, right, BC? It's his one rep max. He could not have done another one. That was RPE 10. There was as much as he could possibly do. In fact, he couldn't even do it because his friends had to help him lift it. Dude, when you get to that level, that's when the weight gets dangerous, that is when, if you are at your fucking limit, that is when the weight gets dangerous. If you don't have proper technique, it's not just that you can't move the weight, and there is some form breakdown when you get to one rep max, but if you don't have good form, that's where you risk injury. Why is any friend of his, how close is, how close is this fight? Less than a month. Why are you doing one rep benches with horrible form that potentially risk injury when you don't even need to, the, the carryover to boxing is actually floor pressing, where you, where you just bench straight from the floor. It's just the end of it. And even then, it doesn't really have a ton of carryover. That, that's some. It has some. Dude, like every part of that decision there, from the gloves to your friends helping you, to it not being a whole lot of weight for a professional athlete, to the form being terrible, to the risk being somewhat unnecessary, and then he ran into the wall. It's like, dude, what... <laughs> Did, did no one counsel you to this being a horrible idea? I guess not. I guess not. I don't think uh, Deontay listens to the counseling, Luke. I mean, he puts people in the camp who it seems like will support him undyingly. So that's where we're at with that. Um, uh, he could, should have done a Gus Farad and just ran headfirst into the wall in celebration, Luke. That would yes. have ended badly. And, that would have been, that would and have been I know better. you won't get this reference, but it did remind me of old school WWF 1986. Do you remember legitimate bodybuilder Ted Arcidi. He became a WWE wrestler and they had no. that little skate where he tried to break the bench press record. Luke, he put up 755 and Jesse the Body Ventura was the spotter, but he kind of helped him pick it up and Jesse was like, no, that's only two pounds of pinky pressure. So he lifted 753. That guy on the right, Luke, he put a lot of pinky pressure in that to get that, that thing up there. That was... Uh... Yeah, that, but who am I to talk, Luke? I got a black liver, and I'm a you know I'm a skinny old dad. Well, but so. I mean, this is the problem. Like I weigh more than Deontay, uh, but dude, like that's I'm not I'm not gonna say I can easily do that, but like I can do that for reps, man. And I'm a fucking nobody. Like <laughs> that that was my problem. Like this this did not. Here's my thing. Everyone's like, oh, you think you're fucking tough? No, I don't think I'm tough. People are like, why don't you film your shit? Because here's how it works, BC. If you film your shitty ass lift, whoever you are, and you put it on the internet, you gave that moment to the internet to have. It's now theirs, and they're going to do what they want with it. 
And if it's not all that great, they're gonna fucking roast you to the nth degree. I know Some shows I'm build a- segments around that, Luke, right? Yeah, well here's yeah. what I'm saying. I know I'm a nothing lifter. That's why I never filmed them. I got nothing impressive to share ever. I lift for my own personal sake, and that's it. But I'm not dumb enough to put it on the fucking internet. I just didn't know what he was thinking, dude. I was like a That's real bad thing. That's why you won't do adult films either, Luke. I understand that a lot. <laughs> All right, Luke, let's get into the segment everyone is waiting for. So each and every Wednesday, uh, there are certain questions that, you know, I try to stick in the rundown, but Luke's like, I ain't talking about that shit. So we created a segment where he must talk about that shit, whatever shit I want. In fact, I provide 10 categories. Luke gives five spins. These are good faith responses to decently faith questions, although Luke sidebar when we do this in the studio when it's better you're really getting bitchy in our pre-show meeting saying hey bc it can only be questions it can't be stunts i'm nobody's circus clown bitch you wouldn't even arm wrestle our cameraman what the hell's wrong with you luke it's entertainment bro i know but i'm not a circus bear i'll do what the segment is i won't do what the segment is not that's how it goes it's it's like it's like you know by the way, I'll do adult films, but the back door ain't open and it certainly ain't free. Luke, I'm not trying to get in your ass, bro. I just want to. I mean, seriously. All right. Anyway, okay. this I one's mean, you, you made this you made this uncomfortably weird. When is our uh, when I'll, I'll leave it at this. When is our uh, the when we went to the Jersey basketball courts, when is that going to be published? Do you know our, our Billy Madison academic decathlon? Yeah, yes. we, did, we filmed the first event. I don't know. I, I'm told by our, Matt Snyder, our producer, that Doc 4 is coming any day now. And that video you're talking about will come right after it, Luke. So okay. we'll see what happens. All right. Okay. All right. Let's Here we it. go. This segment is called The Wheel of Death. The Wheel of Death. All right, Luke, here are your 10 categories this week. Number one, corporate text messages. Number two, Utah, give me three. We've got mid-drift firearm tats. Four touchdowns in one game. Canadians, never my friend. The state of love and trust. (laughs) Liberal cage fighters, if there is such a thing. Yeah, Uh, there's not. All triller, no filler. Becoming one with your Indian heritage. And finally, sent to Hall. Luke, there's some good ones in there today, but you get what you get. Spin number one. Big money, big money, no whammies, no whammies. And stop. Utah. Give me three. Okay. All right. A play on words from that great moment in the movie Point Break with Big Gary Busey. But this time, instead of two, we get three. Luke, unlike the sport of boxing, the short history of MMA has produced very few legitimately memorable and transcending trilogy fights. Luke, yes, we've got Edgar Maynard, Velasquez Dos Santos, Cormier Miocic, and Melendez versus Big John McCarthy's podcast partner. But Luke, the good news is that Connor Dustin 3 is right around the corner, as is the potential, if I can keep willing it into existence, for the Israel Adesanya-Robert Whitaker rivalry to also eventually reach that level. But let's say you had the ability, Luke, to pick two fighters who are currently in or around the same division, within the same promotion, who have yet to even fight each other a single time, but you could manipulate the future to guarantee that they would sign a three-fight deal and have a trilogy against one another with the hopes that this trilogy could eclipse all the great ones I just mentioned. Luke, which two fighters would you pick based on your preference as a fan? Wow, that is a great question. 
That is a great question. Man. um, Boy, that's a tough one. Candidly, this is going to sound like a fucking corporate answer, but you know how I feel personally, BC. I'm just telling the truth here. I honestly feel like Pitbull, AJ McKee, you could probably do. I mean, we've never seen one, so it's a little hard to declare two and three would be great. But if you're just thinking in your mind, matchups that could be entertaining over a series of time. Plus, you know, I don't want to spoil the resume review, but if you just look at the career of a guy like Pitbull, even if he loses, uh, he's really built himself off of those moments. So, like, it would give you hope for a second one. And you could so do it say, at, at there are two titles at stake, Luke. You do like one at at featherweight, one at yeah. lightweight. Correct? Oh, great point, great point. Yeah, you could do that as well. So I would say I won't make that my official answer, but I, w- I would put that in the books as one that like you could look at today. But okay, let's look at UFC. Um, man, man, what a great question, BC. What a great question. Um, well, they're both gone. You could have done Diego Sanchez, Gilbert Melendez. That's gone, but you could have done that one. Well, no, they've already fought. These are people that have not fought. Luke. Have not fought at all. Yes, but you okay. can sign a deal that they're going to go all the way to three, Luke. Okay, they could do. Now, are these three back to back to back, or like you know, three over the course no, of like three years or something? Let's say three year deal just to fight three times at, whenever it makes sense. Okay, I am gonna say. Now let me think about this for a second because I want to make sure this is right. I'm gonna say. Um, Man, fuck, that's a tough one. How about this? How about... Um... We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. I'll, I don't know if this is the best answer, but I'm going to say, I'll say John Jones and Francis. Something like that. That's, a, that's not a bad one. I'll tell you that. That's not a bad answer, Luke. Because I think that no matter who wins the first one, not that you could throw it out, but you'd have to at least think that the second time around would be a lot different. Um, you know, there's there's ones I would want to see. It doesn't fit your question, but like, uh, you know, would I want to see Max and Dustin mix it up two more times? I know, again, I know what you're saying. They have, they've already fought, so it doesn't count. But like, that's just built to, 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 I mean, you know, perfectly situated for another two more fights. Um, I guess if I could throw one more in there, let's say a lighter weight class. I'm gonna say I'm gonna I'm gonna just pretend I'm gonna say Corey Sandhagen, Peter Yan. I think that one has I can't hate a, on that. a lot of ability over the course of three fights to show you something pretty special. Which I way would you, you might gone? bite in the BMF area and be like, okay. I thought about Mosby that. Law. I thought about that. I, but like, here's the problem: you could do Connor and Jorge, but I'm a little bit concerned. And this could be totally wrong. I'm a little bit concerned Jorge blows him out. In which case, yeah. would you want to see it two more times? I don't know. Well, I'd be concerned in Ganu, seriously. Let's say he like flatlines John to the level where you're like, yeah, maybe John should go back to 205. You know what I'm saying? Like there, there's there's a lot of weird potential scenarios. Or maybe John does a stipe like victory against Francis the first time, to your point, where it's close, but you're like, man, he almost got caught, you know? 
Not the thing that is, though, was but that's the thing. Time. Like, let's say Francis just flatlines him inside 30 seconds. You've seen Francis do it before. Uh, you have to think John would have a much different game plan the second time. And, dude, John's got really high fight IQ. I would love to see that. So, like, even if it's a disaster for him the first time, um, I would still want to see it, you know, a couple more times. Very, very fair, Luke. Very good answer. Let's go to spin number two. All right, give me one about BBLs. Is there a BBL on this one? Four touchdowns in one game. That's funny. Let's face it, Luke. Every average American. Is this an Al Bundy reference? Yes, every average American. Al Bundy, who never quite made it as a pro athlete, has that one athletic claim to fame that they cling to for the rest of their lives. Al Bundy, the fictional father of the 90s sitcom Married with Children, once scored four touchdowns in a single high school game for Polk High. My Uncle Tony Luke, he caught the game-tying touchdown and two-point conversion when Naugatuck tied Ansonia in the 1970 Thanksgiving game, giving the Greyhounds the NVL title, Luke. We have heard that. There are pictures. There's paintings. I mean, it's like a family history moment. Luke, I don't even have many myself, but I did sack the best quarterback in eighth grade football that time, Mike Master Petro, when he slipped in the rain and I jumped on top of him, Luke. So, uh, oh, oh, when I was 27, I ran a mile in 556. That's not that bad, Luke. Okay, maybe I'll cling to that. But How um, fast? 556 that's that dude sub six is good that's good it was a race. it was a mile race yeah it was uh all right enough of that luke i'm sure even you with very little recorded history of actually doing anything athletic save for your mathlete brain skills as a nerd <laughs> in old marietta you had to have done something that you cling to at some level from little league to youth soccer to rec basketball that can serve as the one achievement you are most proud of, Luke. Mm. Half-court buzzer beater, first-place finish in swimming, whatever you got, (laughs) Luke. Looking back at your sad history as an athlete, what was your Al Bundy moment that one day you will regal your grandkids with at family get-togethers? I will regal? You mean regale? Regale. I mean, I'm from a factory town. We have different pronunciations of things. I see, I see. Okay. This, first of all, you've had two questions here. These are fucking great. I'm very impressed. These are much better than last week. Um, I had two moments at boot camp that I was fairly proud of. Uh, so I've always been the world's worst runner, which is why I'm wearing these barefoot shoes these days because I'm trying to slowly run on the forefoot. I've always been doing the heel strike first. And, I, dude, I had shin splints so bad in the Marine Corps. I was every run was fucking just mercilessly painful for me. I was really, really bad at it. And I remember uh, that if you, when I went to boot camp, it's still now the case. It wasn't the case before I went. They, they instituted right when I got there. There's something called the Crucible. Basically, the, la- boot, uh, the Marine Corps boot camp is the longest of all the services. It's 13 weeks. And then the last week, well, the second to last week, um, you spend the entire time on this like long march. It's like 70 miles. It takes several days. And you don't sleep about an hour or two a night very little food. You have to do all kinds of training activities. The third day of it, I was just fucking miserable. I'd slept for maybe a couple of hours, just completely covered in mosquito bites, hungry as shit. You know, you just, just not, not just unhappy. And I remember I had really, really bad blisters from all of the, cause I was at the uh, front end of um, the, uh, the platoon. So I was had to, I had to lead with pace and you know, these boots are terrible. Why do I bring this up? Because the blisters hurt so bad, BC, that I couldn't run my normal average pace, which was not good. I mean, maybe an eight-minute mile, like not good at all. 
but it was so fucking painful that I was just I had to sprint to get them warm because once they got warm I didn't feel them anymore at least not very badly so I was like man fuck this shit I'm so fucking angry I'm so fucking pissed I'm so hungry I'm so tired I'm just gonna go as fast as I possibly can and uh, again this is not an achievement by any stretch of the imagination but for a guy like me who ran about an eight minute mile I finished that three mile race in 18 minutes so I had a six minute average um, over the course that's, of three miles. That's fucking legit, Luke, for a yeah, big I was, bastard like yourself. I was, I was very, very happy with that. I couldn't believe it. And I knew I was going fast because I was passing people in my platoon. I didn't normally pass. But, dude, like a little bit of anger and a little bit of frustration is a hell of an engine for average people like me. The other moment I had at Boot Camp BC was we had to do uh, – they got rid of boxing right before I got there. But they still made us do the bit where American Gladiators, where they give you like the fucking hockey mask and then the the stick where you, where you put your hands in and then you have to just fight the other guy. The first time they matched me up, they matched me up with, I mean, I, dude, this kid was frothing at the mouth. Okay, I was like, <laughs> oh, fuck. <laughs> I'm about to get fucking wrecked. And I tried my best, but he fucking laid into me and whipped whipped my helmet so far it came across my face and I couldn't even see. I mean, he he demolished me, okay? At that same crucible, at that same crucible, they matched me up with him again. And dude, I'm telling you, I was so fucking angry and so tired and so pissed. I was like, you know, what have I got to lose? What's he going to do? He's just going to fucking, because it didn't hurt because of the helmet, but it was just embarrassing the way he had rearranged it. So this time I went in there and, dude, I just charged like Braveheart over the fucking hill. Because what, what am I going to do? I can't beat this guy with strategy. He's, he's just a better athlete and he's a fucking maniac. And I went over there and I just jumped in the air and fucking slashed him. And he was so surprised because it's first clean shot wins. First clean shot to the head wins. And I ran over there and I jumped in the air and I fucking slashed him. And he just couldn't believe I had the gall to do something like that. Yes. And I won and I fucking beat him. And I will never forget, I went back to my platoon. And uh, this is exactly what my drill instructor said to me. He goes, wow, Thomas, you're actually going to leave here not exactly the same piece of shit you came in. <laughs> <laughs> that is a quote that he said that I'll never fucking forget. So, uh, yeah, do, do that, you that, still that, know that, those are my man. two Al Bundy moments. The guy that you took out, is he still around? No idea. Luke? He, was in a, he was in another platoon. I have no idea. I doubt right. it. Luke, uh, real quick, I, uh, probably my, my real best one is uh, I played uh, in the ESPN Rec Basketball League in my mid-30s, and there was an A division, which had, like, XD1 guys, like Jay Williams from Duke, and then the NBA's Jay Williams was in that, the point guard. But I played in the B League, Luke, which was, like, <laughs> wash dads, and I had a 20-point, 20 20-rebound 20 playoff game, Luke, to advance to the championship. Wow. Okay, now – now, look, the other team's center got in foul trouble early, and they didn't have any subs. So there were some asterisks involved, Luke, but I brought it that night, okay, or that afternoon. So take impressive, that. ESPN impressive, impressive. All right, Luke, spin number three coming your way. I have to do the weird credit card swipe motion. The state, right. and, uh, the state of love and trust. All right. Great Pearl Jam song there, Luke. All right, this one, Luke, is all about MK's future and its relationship with the hardcore fan who helped us build this thing. Luke, let's face it. Between new merch, 
Versace robes, live ad reads, healthy livers, more boxing talk than ever before, and an upcoming trip to Las Vegas for UFC 264 that will, for the first time, be a step closer to the original vision that you and I had of what MK could one day be. Everything from the look, feel, and taste of this show has been rapidly changing. Yes, it's still BC, LT, and a bunch of dick jokes. Yet, Luca, it would be hard to overlook two things as we continue to get crazy close to the finish line of the race to 100K subscribers. One, MK's growing really fast. Two, a bunch of our hardcores in the comments are having a hard time, Luke, adjusting to that. Now, look, this is no different than your favorite indie band that you used to watch in the local club. Move up to the stadium show level, start writing pop songs, right? Go to the salon, get their hair colored, right? Um, in some ways, yes, MK is selling out because that's what happens when you get successful and start to fulfill your dreams and goals. But in another sense, Luke, MK has instead also not really sold out, but bought in on what this bright future could mean to our access, our reach, the events we cover, the shows we can produce for the fans. So since your name is higher up on the marquee and you have the producer credit that you bitchedly brag about, as the more responsible and patriarch of this show, I wanted to give you a chance in this Wheel of Death question to address where the show is at, where it's going, and how that might affect our hardcore P1 day one viewers who loved us back in the original nondescript bomb shelter when it was all MMA talk and no filter and are now sick of the long intros, the ad reads, the super long wheel of death intros to the questions. They're sick of the boxing talk. They're sick of me interrupting you. They're sick of not getting to hear the real story about the infamous text message and the missing <laughs> show number 171. Your question, Luke, that is in need of a good faith response for our core listeners is this. How does MK fulfill all of its goals and dreams without driving away the very people who helped us get here? Well, let's so take it piece by piece here. On the ad stuff... It's like, I mean, listen, guys, I know people don't like hearing ads, especially for products they may or may not need. Like some of you, listen, I bet more than a few of you unkempt disasters need some manscaped help. Uh, yeah. You know, I wouldn't be so quick to dismiss that. But maybe you don't need Moneyline or a cash app. And, and maybe that the Get Roman stuff is not necessarily for you. If it is, I hope you can check it out. But okay, fine. But fellas, we got bills to pay. People want to make money off this. This is just a little bit of a cost that you have to pay. By the way, we don't have a Patreon where we ask for money. You know, we're not, we're not, we don't do the self-service thing. We're like, you know, we're 100% independent, which by the way, I like that stuff too. But I'm just pointing out, we're in a situation where you get all the content for free. We would hope, we would hope, and we'll try to limit it, but we don't, we, we, you gotta understand some of the business side here. We, we, we have to make this a financially uh, responsible operation for the folks involved, otherwise it just can't continue, right? And we'd rather have some MK than no MK. So that's the first thing I'd say. The second thing I'd say is I wouldn't really worry about the rest. My only concern about the future BC is that we'll get too successful. I mean, let me, let me explain what I mean by that. The podcast itself has plenty of room to grow, and I intend to make it grow, and I know you do as well. But I got to say, BC and I are a little bit like Voltron. Our powers combined are even more than I thought they would be. I knew partnering with BC was a good idea for any number of reasons, but it's actually been way more powerful than I had imagined we would be two years later. It's to the point where BC and I are fielding, or at least uh, not fielding, but you know, offers come our way for all kinds of stuff 
outside of MK. Um, hey, do you want to go do this gig? What about this role in the company? What about that kind of thing you can do? And those are to an extent, not all of them obviously, but to an extent, those are a lot of things that BC and I have long dreamed of doing. But I think the central tension that we have is that, and, and really the basic understanding that we have, and BC and I had a conversation about this in Miami, I think that all of those things are coming because we've done MK. Like MK is the nucleus, it's the reason, it's the catalyst of change, at least for this stage of our careers. I don't ever want to lose that. I don't want to do anything on the outside that makes MK change on the inside. And my pledge to all the viewers and the listeners is I will not. I will take other opportunities or whatever that complement MK, but it would be very, very extremely foolish of either of us if we just said, oh, well, MK led to this, now I can just leave it. I mean, maybe it'll come a time, BC, where we've outgrown it, but I don't, man, I feel like we're just scratching the surface after the pandemic year where we had to kind of sit on the sidelines. Well, that shit appears to be over for the most part anyway. Um, now's the time where we lean into that, actually. So uh, my, my pledge is that we understand some of the concerns that you guys are having. We've had many of them, but BC and I, we talk about these things. We, we talk about our future. We talk about our present, and we talk about where we want to go, and no one's going to change that. And the day that it does change, I'm out. So simple as that. Okay. So deal with the ads. Deal with the long intros. Hopefully you like boxing. That's what Luke's saying, right? <laughs> Can we talk about why we cover boxing, BC? We cover it for a few reasons. One, Showtime hired us, and they're big into the boxing business, number one. Number two, you have, uh, I would say now you're pretty 50-50, but obviously your background is a little bit more boxing than it is MMA, and so we want to bring some of those talents to bear. Number three, dudes, look around. If you just wait for the biggest MMA fights, you have a lot of weeks where you're not talking about anything. But if you talk about the biggest combat sports fights, usually boxing and MMA, although kickboxing can occasionally uh, play a role. Dude, you get to just be at bigger shit all the time. It's a yeah. much better way to stay visible. Now, of course, you have to do credible coverage, um, and I lean for that a lot on BC, especially recently. But over time, I'm hoping to be a, a little bit more self-sufficient in that way. I feel like I'm getting a little bit closer day by day. But over time, BC, tell, me, tell, tell, tell the viewers, dude, it's a much smarter play for us to do what we're doing than just focus on one or the other. Uh, yeah, I mean, look, it's, there, there, there's very many MMA-specific shows. We do have overarching skill sets that allow us to, to cover both and cover both at a very high level. And maybe we'll, we'll, we'll be 70, 30, 60, 40, whatever MMA because that does tend to fill the headlines more often. But boxing's not dead. And we do have the connection with Showtime. And also, it's a big part of my full-time job with CBS Sports as a writer covering this stuff. And, and also... Boxing really rules at the highest level. So if you're a hater, you're going to have to get past that, okay? So and the last, the last thing I'd say, BC, is that we said this in Miami, but it deserves repeating. Like, you could say what you want about the Mayweather-Paul fight, dumb as balls, whatever. You hated it. You know, you want your money back. Whatever you want to say. I don't care. Say what you want to say. I'm not going to police it. But, like, being there and doing what we did for a big boxing fight, exhibition or otherwise, dude, that was fucking huge for us. If we were just covering MMA, we would have never gotten that. To the extent that we're in t in entertaining advancement and, and opportunities that are coming our way is a function of the fact that we had that opportunity. It, you'd be a dumbass to turn that down. So we didn't. All right. Very well handled, Luke. You were honest with the people of most of that. I mean... Hopefully we'll find the missing episode one day. Spin number four, Luke. Let's get this going. Here we go. 
Are there BBLs in somewhere here? All triller, no filler. Oh, uh, fucking Well, Lord. you know, you can't win them all. This is a little bit of a filler question, Luke, but you spun it. Here we go. Triller head honcho Ryan Kavanaugh sent a letter to Mike Tyson this week that was obtained by boxing journalist Mike Coppinger, eventually also Dan Raphael, I believe, uh, or maybe I was wrong on that. Mike Coppinger put it out there on the interwebs. Triller claims, Luke, it actually did send the $25 million purse to Mike Tyson for his exhibition fight against Roy Jones Jr. and claims it has receipts to prove it. In fact, Luke, Kavanaugh went as far as possibly insinuating that Tyson's people, including the whatever that League of Legends thing, whatever the hell that was called, might be the ones who are actually withholding the funds from Tyson, which would be sad given this being a pattern in Mike's career. Uh, Luke Kavanaugh also said Triller has proof that it has Tyson under contract for one more fight and said it's hoping in the near future they could get Mike to agree to get in there for a trilogy bout against Evander Holyfield. Luke, our guy Tyson is 54 and as unpredictable as any human being alive. So we've got some level of misgivings about ever wanting to see him fight again. Plus that Jones fight, it was perfect. Tyson won it, although there was no official whatever, it was a draw, I don't know. But Tyson looked great, Luke. Why would you want to ruin that? But they always ruin that in combat sports. So, Luke, mm. we ask difficult questions here that you don't want to answer, so let's let's ask it. Let me ask you this. Give me three prospective Tyson opponents for his proposed trailer finale, should he agree to it, that could be the threshold of one million pay-per-view buys, and then give me the one name, whether it's a part of those three or not, that you would actually get into wanting to see him box and could even be excited enough to like want to preview it in terms of how it would actually play out. There is no scenario where I could do the latter. Um, I can name opponents that would do well. Um, okay. I would say, I mean, Holyfield, I don't know about that. I, I would have thought before maybe they could do it with, I mean, you know what? They might be able to do it with Holyfield. It's possible. So I'll say Holyfield. Um, I'd even say especially a second Lennox, or not even a second, but uh, a second crack at, well, not even that really, another crack at Lennox Lewis, this time in an exhibition context. So that's two. But those are two old foes. So let's think of a new foe. They could do it against. Honestly, Anderson Silva might be a way to make that work. That'd be um, interesting, Luke. I I don't like that fight for a lot of reasons, but uh, you're asking about the what would sell Mike Tyson versus Anderson Silva. Yeah, especially after what he did against Chavez. That might that might do it. So I'll go Evander Lennox Anderson Silva. No Chavez Jr. there to watch Mike try to send him <laughs> to the dark depths, Luke. He can he can be the uh, he can be the hungover cut man, which is probably what he would be. No Logan Paul mentioned by Luke. I'm not sure if he has I, more fights on any Showtime deal. I'm they sure. might do that. They might do that. I know that you know. There's some chatter that Logan Paul's kind of itching for that. Uh, you know, I just don't have a good read on that. Maybe, maybe. I thought it. Here's the thing. I thought that he did well enough against Floyd, and that the Floyd fight did well enough from a commercial standpoint. But I don't know that you can like pivot off of that to something equally strange, and everyone's like, "Oh, I'm still." I'm still invested in what this might look like. It feels to me you have to get something a little bit closer to him in skill level to make that work, but maybe I'm misreading. I mean, I'm not, you know, I would what have about, never imagined people would want to see TikTokers versus YouTube, but but they did. What about the original Mike Tyson of MMA, Vitor Belfort? No, nah, I don't give a fuck. Nah. Okay. Nah. Well, you were honest, Luke. Final spin. Here we go. Let's put a bow on it. 
You get what you get. Let's see what you get. Oh, fart needles. Oh, Luke, you've been sent to Hall. Luke, unlike in boxing, where broadcasters and journalists can be inducted into the International Boxing Hall of Fame, like our Showtime colleagues Al Bernstein, Steve Farhood, Jim Gray, and even Jimmy Lennon Jr. have all been enshrined in Canastota. MMA currently does not have a Hall of Fame that includes media members or at least anyone of major prominence. In fact, the only Hall of Fame I'm even aware of, Luke, is the UFCs. That will likely change one day when UFC, Luke, in hopes of restoring its public reputation of how it deals with the media, inducts its first class of broadcasters and journalists, which will probably include Mike Goldberg, John Morgan's blue shirt, and the schmo's black vest that has his face on the back of it, Luke. Mm -hmm. But let's say a few years after that first class gets in, good old Luke Thomas gets the call from the UFC, and you were told that not only are you going into their Hall of Fame in the media wing, <laughs> yeah, right, but that they want you to appoint a fighter, active or retired, to come up and induct you and say something nice about you. So my question to you is this, Luke. <laughs> That's an interesting question. First of all, which fighter would you want to bestow that honor upon you in all seriousness? Secondly, what do you wish your peers would say about you and your contributions to the sport during that talking head video package that always precedes the induction? They usually have Okamoto and, Mer and John Morgan kind of just be like, hey man, Rashad Evans was a great light heavyweight champion. Yeah. And Luke, to spice up this question even more, I'm gonna add a third layer. Okay. Similar to how baseball players, when they get inducted to Cooperstown, the Baseball Hall of Fame gets to pick the hat that will be on their plaque that typically represents which team they had the greatest amount of success with. Yeah. So this could be SB Nation, Bloody Elbow, MMA Fighting, Showtime, yeah, right. CBS Sports, Sirius XM, uh, that time that you worked at Chick-fil-A for a day in Old Marietta. <laughs> Luke... Which fighter's going to induct you? What do you hope your peers say about you? And which hat will you wear going into the UFC media wing of the Hall of Fame? Uh, now, you said the, the hat. Does the hat have to be any job I've ever had, or does it have to be related to MMA? Yeah, related to MMA, yes. Okay, yes. Okay, I was joking right. about Chick-fil-A, Luke, okay? Um, all right, so the fighter I would get to induct me, I'd, I'd pick, this is an easy one for me, Chael Sonnen. Um, wow. We've We've battled back and forth. We've had our differences, but mostly we don't have differences. I think we see eye to eye f for the most part. I mean, there's some different, there, you know, there's some there's some topics we don't. But um, I think he understands me in a way that a lot of other fighters never have. And despite the fact that we don't agree on certain issues, the fact that I feel like he understands me is more important. So I'd pick Chael. Um, that's a good choice. I respect that. I, w I wouldn't have guessed that, but that's a good one. Yeah, uh, what do I hope they say about me? I don't think any of my peers really care for me. So, I mean, understand something, dude. Like, I'm not the guy who, at least while I'm around, and probably not ever, but I'm not the guy who um, is going to win awards, you know? Uh, I don't think it's because people have necessarily better content than I do, um, or in this case, we. But, um, you know, I piss a lot of people off, and MMA is an industry that loves its own members to be very self-congratulatory towards. You know, MMA wants people who are inside of MMA who cheerlead MMA and don't focus on the bad things on MMA. And I've just never been that guy. I feel like it's actually pretty fucked up that that's really what the, you know, 
if you want to look at who wins the awards, you can definitely look at obviously the size of the audience that people can 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 generate, but also just notice is there anybody there who uh, to this point anyway has a demonstrated track record of you know not just pissing off the powers that be, but like sticking it to them. Um, I don't think that you can, not in a real way, uh, but it's because. The people who are in charge of the awards and the people who get the awards and then the fans who want to see the people celebrated are the ones that make them feel the best about MMA. And I'm just never going to be that guy. And so I I understand that. I I value, I think you need people in industry who, yeah, can be celebratory. But I think you also need people who do what I do, which is like, wait, 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 all this is fucked up. And I've been right, I've been wrong. But I think that role is not the kind that generates the accolades, but it's the necessary one to have a healthier sport. So they're not going to say anything nice about me. I've been very critical about MMA media. I don't really give a fuck what they think, and they can say whatever they want. Um, wow. And they could suck this D? Is that how you're going to end this rant? Uh, there, wow. Listen, there are some members of the MMA media that I like a lot, and there's a, you know, a lot that I don't. I don't. I don't ever wake up, BC. Maybe you're different. I don't ever wake up and think about, like, what do I need to do to get someone's adulation? I realized a long time ago I can generate an audience and do the kind of media coverage that I want to do without any of those accolades, without any of the backslaps and the high fives from my peers. So I've just always been oriented that way. Um, so I don't – I mean, some of them I like a lot. I, I'm not in this for their – what do you think of what I did? I don't give a fuck what you think I did. And then lastly, I would say, what hat would I wear? That's a tougher one because Showtime has been indescribably supportive. So I'd probably go that way, but it would I would do it with something of a heavy heart because I don't have anything bad to say about SiriusXM. They were just always, here's what you want in life, man. This is all you ever really want. It's all you really ever need. You just need someone to believe in you. And maybe it's just one person and that one person opens up one door, but the cascading effect of that can be transformative. And for a long time, BC, I was the only person who believed in what I was doing. Why did I buy all of the lights and the cameras to do live streaming and the cameras themselves and the lenses? And why did I take courses on the stuff? Because no one believed in me to give me an opportunity to do the stuff that I wanted to do. So I had to invest in me. But it was only after I invested in me that some other people began to see some of the things that I was seeing in myself. And SiriusXM was one of the very first ones that really did that. So what I would do is I'd probably wear like a Showtime hat and uh, maybe put like a SiriusXM sticker on there somewhere or some kind of nod because it would just be, it would not be fair to say that everyone has done for me what Showtime has. But it would be equally unfair to to just leave SiriusXM out of the out of the conversation. Would you wear an MMA fighting branded <laughs> anal plug during the ceremony? <laughs> I don't think they even rate that. All right, all right, Luke. I know you were going to ask me, so I'll just answer it. I've been thinking hard about this. I would have Yoana induct me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. you got to you got to be who you are, Luke. At the end of the day, that's yeah. a good. You know what? That's a good call. That's a good call. That's funny. That's funny. That's I mean, she would call. make it all about herself, but I'm prepared for that. Luke. Probably, all probably, right, but, you know, whatever. Let's close the show with a bang here, Luke. Morningcombat at gmail.com is your email address to hit up our producers with your fan mail, with your contributions, your artwork, and also with your dead wrongs for Friday's show. But today is Wednesday, so every Wednesday we got mail. 
and it's in the form of fan submissions. All right, let's look through the mailbox here, Luke. First one from L Danny four thirteen. Here's a fan submission from Las Vegas, Luke. This fella. I think actually this is his lady's account. Uh, look at this fine couple on vacation. Hey. They went to Vegas, and this guy's rocking the Schmedium MK t-shirt. Shout out, Luke, right? You know what? God bless this fella. Thumbs up. This is the iconic, uh, uh, you know, light display or whatever you want to call this, the, the sign. And uh, you know what? They look like they're having a good time. God bless this man for, yeah, for, for buying some merch 1.0. They're wearing our shit around Sin City. Shout out to this couple. Love shouts, that. Shouts. All right, let's keep it going. George has two of us, for two for us. Luke, the first one. Hello, my name is George. I'm in the long hair. <laughs> Me and my buddy Chip are from San Diego. We're currently doing our first bike tour from San Luis Obispo to San Diego. We even listened to Monday's episode, June 21st, on our first 20 miles of the tour. Wow. One photo is from our highest point of the trip. I know you can't see any reference to elevation, but that's because no one ar was around to take the pick. But the other photo is from our lowest point on the tour. This is at CSU Santa Barbara, wow. a day one fan who loves the show and wishes everyone involved with it well. Just two more things. Luke, you're a metalhead just like me. Quit getting pumped up to skill wrecks and listen to some suffocation, he says. And also, I like suffocation. Suffocation's good. And also, Big Beige Campbell, I love prog rock just as much as you. Selling England by the Pound, the seminal album from Genesis, is one of my all-time favorites. But quit being a Big Beige pussy and listen to some metal. Yeah! Much love, George. Well, it's, I'm very happy that George on the right with that rock star hair and his boyfriend Chip went on this trip, Luke, and listened to our songs, or our shows. I appreciate that. But, uh, uh, you know, I'm, I'm good. I mean, I like some metal, Luke, but it's just... it's. It, you know, you can only listen to it so long before you become angry and buy your own camera equipment and have your own YouTube channel and, and are hard to work with, right? I mean, I think the last of those things is slightly overstated. I just have a few <laughs> principles I like to <laughs> adhere to. But you know what? God bless these two. I don't know how far San Luis Obispo is from San Diego, but I bet it's pretty fucking far. And That's pretty um, good drive. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty God bless these two, man. This is great. Really appreciate the support. Love that they took some time out to make these photos. And uh, they probably banged after this, right, BC? Yeah, probably. Yeah, I mean, they went to tip to tip. Shout out to Chip. You think Chip is the, uh, no, no, enough of that. No, no more, no power bottom jokes. Let's keep it going, Luke. Uh, our fans can do whatever they want with their, with their private parts. Yeah, exactly. This one's from Kina F. Hello, Luke. Oh. Big fan of MK. I'm from London. What do you make of my budget home gym? First of all, it's better than my budget home gym. So let's go through this. He's got some kind of, um, he's got some kind of uh, aerodyne assault rower, or not rower, a uh, bike there. He's got some kind of Nordic bike on the side, oh no, elliptical, excuse me, on the side. He has a proper rack. He's got tatami pads on the bottom, which aren't the best. You want the horse stall, horse stable flooring is better, but you get what you can get, so that's pretty good. He's got, I can't quite tell if those are, but like, I guess those are boxing gloves on the right. He's got some warm-up stuff with uh, the banded stuff on the right. He's got an ab roller wheel at the top of the uh, white uh, uh, like cabinetry there, and Looks I like don't see how much I don't see how much free weight he has, and it's hard to tell what he's got on the left there. But I gotta say, all in all, pretty good. My only concern, BC, would be could he do standing overhead press work? He obviously can do mm. sitting overhead press, On but I don't think he can do he standing could, overhead press. 
Uh, let's hope that also the women in his life have a proper rack as well. He has a question for you, Luke. What conditioning machine is more torture? Torture the air bike or your sled? Oh, that's a tough question. I get harder workouts with the sled, but they're shorter because, especially with the heat, there's only so much you can really do. the The thing about those bikes, um, like the uh, assault bikes or whatever. I feel like they can kill you and you can, they can kill you for longer periods of time. So like the torture is for me worse, so to speak on the sled, but the torture is much longer on the bike. So I might go the bike because you really have to have mental focus with that shit. You also turned down my offer to race me in a 50 yard dash for our academic yes. decathlon. Cause you That's said right. you're physically unable. Luke. That's right. Okay. I can't really I sprint. Just... I just exposed you right there. All right. Yeah, uh, Kina, or what's the guy's name? Kina. He's hoping for international merch soon. Hey, bro, go to morningcombat.store right now and get your ish, okay? I'm sure you can buy it in pounds, baby. Okay. Uh, Courtney S. Is, has a three of them, Luke. Here, hey, Donks, I started listening to the show because my boyfriend, wow. Dan, loves it. Thanks to Dan, I'm now a subscribed listener and a huge fan. To show my support for the show, I bought both me and my boyfriend matching MK hoodies. Wow. Yes, Luke. Yes. Hell yeah, dude. We have a female listener. She's one of three. She gets all our jokes and she buys our merch. I feel like she's the official queen of morning oh my combat. God. So she says, we live in Detroit, but over the weekend, Dan decided to take me on a backpacking trip to the west side of the state on the shores of Ludington, Michigan. I swam in Lake Michigan for the first time and captured this pic of us both wearing our new hoodies on the beach. Also, she says, thanks for putting a smile on our faces and for all the great content, Courtney and Daniel. Luke, did they, did they really break those hoodies in, if you know what I mean? Do you think so? Well, two questions. One... How warm is it where they can wear fucking hoodies this time of year? It's the summer, bro. Come on. You oh, yeah, you're and right. you can wear uh, hoodies in the summer? Oh, you ever been up by the Great Lakes? It's windy as balls, Luke. Well, I guess that's right. I've swam in a swum, swam in Lake Michigan, but only in August, which I'm told is the only time it's really warmed up. And it was phenomenal. But this was in Chicago, not, not this part. Um, but you know what, dude? This is the power couple of morning yes. combat. It's pretty impressive. I. Big fan. Well, I mean, Bill and Jen in the RV and, you know. Yeah, that, uh, that they're important, too. Yeah, yeah I don't want to lose sight of Bram that. Bram and Nettie up there in Ireland, uh, the Manning family as well. But this is, uh, I mean, hey, this lady's a keeper here, Dan. So can you, uh, you know, you know what to do, bro. Okay, thank you. Let's keep it rolling here, Luke. Uh, Physio W says, hi, Uncle Luke and Campbell Soup. This one's for Luke. If training gloves are so bad, then why am I setting bear traps with this heavy shrug then? <laughs> Uh, from Deutschland. He's got some, some gibberish written in German here, Luke. But uh, what do you think of this guy, Luke? He is not shrugging very much. I got to tell you. That is not a lot of weight. 95 pounds? You, is that what he's shrugging? Can you critique his ink, Manich? Can we blow this up a little bit, please? Oh, his ink can is you atrocious. I mean... <laughs> first of all, wow. it's like... First of all, it's like... Uh, are those trash bags on his hands? I don't even know. Obviously, he's doing a bit. He's got the dream catcher on the right arm, which I'm told is like <laughs> people in Europe think is like kind of cool. I, okay. Um, and then he's got a tribal tattoo on the left that just goes into dark ink that's indecipherable on the yeah. at the bottom. Yeah. You know, he's it's also funny. Lifting, 
in the same basement of the final scene of the movie uh, Blair Witch Project, where that kid had to face the corner and then probably. You know, got I've never eaten. seen that movie. Yeah. Oh wow, Luke, that's that's uh, that was a dude. People people make fun of that movie now, but they don't realize when it came out, it broke so much ground. It was it, it was did. great. That it was, was a bigger really deal when it came out. It was a big deal for a lot of different reasons. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, and people, even I watched it in the theater with some people, like, oh, that wasn't scary at all. That movie sucked. I'm like, bro, that movie was genius, okay? Anyway, let's keep it rolling here. Devin slides in from Lake Stevens, Washington. He says, I think I found BC's workout gloves. See the attachment. P.S. Keep the badass content going. I'm an electrician in Washington State, and I can't get enough podcasts while I work. I look forward to all day, almost every day. Thank you for your hard hard time and work for your time and hard work luke what do you think of these lifting gloves perfect if you're yeah. if you're gonna wear those kinds of things you should wear ones Weird. that look like this yeah look like men's underpants tidy whities luke i love that this electrician this laborer this this guy from lake stevens wisconsin he could probably hang in my factory town right I these are our people i support this man okay Okay, he keeps the lights on, all right, in more than one way. Okay, thank you. Anthony M slides in. Merch 1.0 came in, and I love the quality. MK is part of my WFH setup. What the hell does that mean, Luke? Work from home. Oh, okay. You're good on those uh, things there. Can we blow it up and see how Anthony looks in, uh, in a Oh, yeah, he's balling. He's got the, uh, I think that's one of the new Shore mics or Road mics. Oh, Jesus Christ, I got a phone call coming in. Um, Luke, I mean, he knows his way around the gym a little bit, right? Yes, yes, he does, uh, and he's got. Let's see the three screens. He's got. You can see the light above his head. That's oh, yeah. pretty good. He's a professional. Yep, this is good stuff. It's good stuff. He kind of looks like our merch guy, Krupp, a little bit, which that might have been an insult, but that's that's all right. We'll keep it rolling here, Luke. Uh, Peter M has two for us this week. Here's the wheel of death meme to to kick it off, or maybe that's the other one. All right. <laughs> that's that's good that's good memeing that's good memeing <laughs> that's pretty good memeing do we have a second one from peter Manicha? was that all of it in one meme oh here we go let's blow this up do you smoke only when luke and brian talk mma your lungs aren't <laughs> 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 there's been a lot of boxing recently bc you got to admit that you yeah. got to admit that yeah. That's why when we went 35 minutes to open on Nganu and Manich was, tech, you know, sending us a little message like, hey, guys, going a little long. I was like, hey, Jay, pipe down. The people need this MMA fix. All right. Thank you. Uh, final one from Rodrigo. Hi, I'm a big fan of the show and made this looping animation for Morning Combat. Oh. Let me know if you need the video in any other formats. Let's check this out. Dude, that is fucking killer. Look at that. Oh, that's that. badass. Man. So that's... Is that McGregor's chest hat yes. with Poirier's sauce? In it's his a mouth? traditional uh, American traditional gorilla with a king, and then like the, you know the background behind it with the hot sauce in his mouth, making him sweat. Fucking a, that is great. Wow, and I like the the font there at the bottom, Luke, for uh, MK and po Poirier McGregor three next week. Can't wait, Vegas, be there. Uh, very well done, Rodrigo. Thank you to all of our people for buying our merch, sending in the pics, creating the art, all that good stuff. Uh, this is for the people, by the people. It is morning combat. Thank you so mm. much, folks. Luke, that's all we got. Two hours. Look, we are we're we're pump we're pumping it more than once this week. I mean, we're we went like two fifteen on Monday show. I know it's way too long. 
Uh, let's remind the folks that a couple of things. We still have Dead Wrong for Friday, morningcombat at gmail.com. Plus, uh, we are going to do a room service diaries in Las Vegas, which means we need not, you don't have to send them to Morning Combat, but we need to, we need to scam Apple, which means we need you to leave a review there. It's five stars and then put your question there so that we can artificially inflate uh, our numbers in that way. What else, BC? If you want to try Showtime, you can. Showtime.com, 30-day free trial. You like it, you can keep it. If not, you can go and do whatever you want with your life. Um, if you would like to buy some merch, you can go to morningcombat.store. We have some merch available up there. And uh, yeah, we're back. Live chat tomorrow at 3. Show is back again on Friday at homework. 11. And, homework uh, assignment for Friday, Luke. Final warning on the homework. Oh, yes. We're going to watch... The night comes for us. It's on Netflix. We will discuss it on Friday. So watch it ahead of time. And then, of course, at morningcombat at gmail.com, you can leave any questions and uh, comments you might have about the movie that you want us to address. BC, anything else? No, that's our show. We hope you enjoyed it. Thank you for coming along on this ride. We addressed our future. Our future is bright, so bright that I've got to wear shades. Come along with us, okay? If you're going to come, bro, come on, okay? All right. So with that in mind... For Malka, for Showtime, for CBS Sports, I'm Luke Thomas. Until next time, may all of your gains be loyal. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.